0: Episode forty three and Wow This is an amazing episode. So pumped up about it. I'm kinda tired after listening to Rachel's story, listening to what she deals with on a daily basis, what she goes through, the emotions involved. Criminal law is a high stakes game of poker, real life poker. And she's living it every single day, and these are these stakes cannot be any higher. I mean, it is amazing what she's done and what she's doing. And you got to give these people credit, whether or not you you, you agree with everything that they do, whether you're prosecutors or criminal defense lawyers, it's a high stakes game. People's lives are on the line every single day, every week, every month, every year. And Rachel uh, shed light on what that is like, what it's like to have clients in prison, what it's like to have clients home from prison, what it's like to have clients serving life sentences because they were ultimately convicted and sentenced to life with or without parole. This is her world. This is what she's doing. So, without further ado, I know that you guys will undoubtedly enjoy and be riveted like I was by this next episode with the one and only Rachel Kaufman.
1: The Optimal Life
0: You sound lovely. How's life?
1: I am, I am lovely. I'm just, you know, living in the dirty South, um, working in a factory of sadness.
0: I know. What is all that about? How, how did you get to the dirty South from uh, good old Cleveland, Ohio? How did that happen?
1: Well, so what's interesting is I went to University of Michigan undergrad, and then I was I applied to like 15 law schools. Um, I really actually wanted to go to University of Colorado Boulder, and then Emory sent me a fee waiver. I would never been to Georgia before, and... Um, they gave me a bunch of money, and my parents were like, and you're going.
0: <laughs> so I went.
1: And then I, I ended up staying. Um,
0: so here I am. And little did they know when they said you're going, you, they were really they were sending you away for a while, huh? It wasn't just yeah. three years and done. <laughs> I, th- I really thought I would come home, and I was actually home last
1: month or two months ago. Um, I, I, you know, my sister is the assistant director of Camp Wise. So I got to go back out to Camp Wise, and I got to see all my friends from home, and... Um, it made me want to move home a little bit.
0: Yeah how how was it being back there? It's awesome. It looks completely
1: different in many ways, but uh, some things are still the same.
0: What's different? I mean, What's the, like? What are the main things that are different? Like the pool's probably different. They and...
1: have a huge pool, like it's like a humongous pool. There's no more horses. Um, there's a lot of huge buildings. There's a trailer there for things that I don't know. Oh, the funniest thing that's changed actually. I hope my sister doesn't get mad at me, but the um, the infirmary grew. Substantially, I don't know if it's the more kids are
0: being medicated or what. Um, and, and it's peanut free, which I think is crazy. Oh, peanut free! Wow, we've come a long way since we were there about uh, half of our life ago, right? It it's feels crazy. like yesterday, but apparently
1: it was that
0: long ago. It's yeah. crazy how fast life goes by. You know, it's just it's hard to it's yeah, hard you have to three believe. Children. You have three children. I've got three. I've got three kids, and I just I feel like I was just graduating law school. Also, I look yeah, back. Yeah.
1: Were you going to be
0: a sports agent? Is that what you did at first? Yeah. So I, from law school, I joined up with another guy here in Cleveland, joined his firm, and uh, got registered with the NFL Players Association. Started representing NFL players. I wanted to do my own thing before going into the family business. I think it's really important to uh, to try to get out on your own, at least experience your own something in life before you. If you have an opportunity to go into a family business, it's it's great. But for me, at least, it was about proving to myself that I could uh, go out into the real world and survive on my own if I had to. I think that's important to throw yourself out there, you know? Um, um, you're speaking to something that's exactly what I'm doing
1: in, to the extent where I've now hit a wall and I'm like, okay, I don't have to do this all myself. Um, but I do think it's a really important challenge, a personal challenge. Um, you can run yourself crazy, drive yourself crazy. Yeah. Uh, trying to think trying to do it all on your own but no it's a it's a lesson in i mean i only i eat what i kill basically so if i don't get paid i don't get paid right and and i'm being paid by i guess i i don't know if we already did this but i'm a criminal defense attorney so i'm collecting money from criminals or people who to have committed you know committed crimes plus their families
0: yeah you basically what you're saying is if you don't collect you don't get paid that's what, you're, yes. that's what you're saying.
1: And the people I'm collecting from, it's not like they're rolling in money. I mean, these are people who are experiencing um, huge setbacks in their life. So it's not like they just have, you know, a bunch of money hanging
0: around. So how do um, you and go people about that? The, how do, do you, I don't really care to represent, unfortunately. Exactly. How do you go about doing that? I mean, that's a good. I've always wondered, like, how do you go about doing uh, billing your clients? And and then collecting because billing is the easy part, but but having to knock on their door and keep reminding them, hey, you still owe me this this money. How does that all work out? I'd like somebody to tell me. I, I,
1: if it worked out better, I think I'd have an answer. Um, for the most part, you know, I think the goal is to get your money up front. But again, you know, who has? I mean, these people don't have. Um, some do. I mean, they, a lot of them have family support. But how I do it is, I guess, I I just. I'm not as brazen as I think some attorneys and I'm not in this to make money again I'm hoping to eventually do something a little bit different um, with my life but for now I guess I'm just trying to value myself I mean I realize that when I don't get paid I can't live so like right. somebody's something has to give yeah, um, of course. usually people are okay you know there's this, I've gotten screwed over and I'm not gonna come after people who I don't feel safe around anyway so I'm just like whatever you know once it it'll all even out in the wash is my attitude about that
0: it's true i mean there's that's how it is even the biggest corporations in the world we're in a manufacturing industry defense contracting there's always going to be those instances where you can't collect regardless of what industry you're in so it just makes it a little bit more difficult when you're a sole proprietor and you're relying on you're relying on that that the money you're owed i mean that's yeah and i'm single so it's not like i um, have a you know, rich husband, take care of things to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm really out there, out there all the way. We could find um, you a few rich guys back here in Cleveland. We can get you I, back. I kind of want to move home because I just like get my you people back. better. <laughs> are it's the people down here. No, are mean, the, it's really different. Uh, yeah. Southern
1: people are different.
0: Different than Midwest. How so? Well, um, the whole race, so
1: part of the reason that I, I don't know if I'd want to do criminal defense in Cleveland is because I really feel rooted in the problems that exist in the South. Um, just remnants of you know the civil rights movement it the um, it, it's the race is a lot more uh, I don't know it, it's much more talked about people live amongst each other like a lot of my a lot of the judges are are black a lot of the prosecutors are black um, but we're, it, it, I guess at least in Atlanta but and there's a lot of you know the big hip-hop culture here which is super fun um, but then there's also a lot of people still being completely margin- uh, marginalized and screwed over uh, as part of the system. And I'm just watching that
0: whole thing happen. And I want it to stop. Sure, sure, sure. So talk about that a little bit. I think it's fascinating what you've done because here you are, um, a girl here from Cleveland, grew up around here. You go out to Emory Law School, which I was doing a little homework, to the 22nd ranked law school in 2019, according to the U.S. News. That's pretty darn impressive. So I, I didn't enjoy any moments of it, but yeah. <laughs> so uh, w- you're uh, you're a bright you're a bright woman. There's no doubt about it. So you go off to Michigan for undergrad, then you go to Emory, and um, that is actually in the Atlanta, downtown Atlanta. Uh huh. Yeah. It's so pretty, you,
1: it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you go to is that near Buckhead? Um, it's probably 15 minutes from Buckhead. Uh, it's closer
1: to like it's kind of in between Decatur and downtown. Um, Atlanta's a difficult city to learn. At least it was for me. I'm not geographically uh, inclined,
0: but um,
1: I actually worked for a prosecutor's office during law school. So I guess if we're talking about how I got into criminal defense, I I interned at whoever would take me um, and I ended up being at a DA's office and I really enjoyed, I did it for two years. Mm-hmm. And I like, and I liked it, but I, there's a few things that may be uncomfortable. One was when people celebrated winning, like getting a conviction, because what that meant was they were celebrating somebody spending time in, in prison, and that felt weird to me. Uh, I don't know. I just felt weird being like, "Yes, we got life without parole. Congratulations!" Right. I don't know. Right. Um, and and I obviously have problems with um, prosecution of drug offenses. Just I just have a real problem with it. Um, and I went to a I went to a, a continuing legal education to become like a prosecutor because I didn't have a job when I got out of law school in 2012. And when I was there, I saw a bunch of like inmates that were working in the in the yard. I don't know if they're doing landscaping or what they were doing. But there was like a guard with them, kind of standing back but had a gun. And I was thinking I could like I would so much rather go hang out with those guys than any of these prosecutors.
0: Isn't that uh, funny? That, uh, Isn't that funny? That switched. Yeah, that's amazing. So, when you went off to law school, did you know that that's what you wanted to get into? I wanted
1: to do animal
0: law. Animal <laughs> law. I know. I see you with all these dogs. You're a dog. Uh, my you're, my a dog God, you're a dog lover. My tripod. I'm a tripod do- now. <laughs> you're moving up in the world. You're moving up in the world. Oh, you, I see. You, I see this love of dogs that you have. Oh, I should mention, I do bring uh, my Rottweiler my Rottweiler to collect with me when I can. Ah, there you uh, go. <laughs> people pay up. Exactly. That, so that's, that was the answer. Why couldn't you tell me that answer five minutes ago? That was the I right answer. I forgot about it until I looked at my dog while he's sitting there. I was like, oh yeah, then there's you, are like You're like, he doesn't scare me, but he scares everybody else. I forgot about that part. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun, it's fun to bring him along. So you uh, you ended up going... So what is animal law? I mean, what the heck is that? does that even mean? I guess
1: um, I wanted to more like, legislat- like legislative action and maybe working in D.C. I wanted to be in D.C. for a long time thinking I wanted to, I don't know, advocate for better better laws about factory farming and, um, I don't know, and just all, there were tons of, like, legal issues within that, um, exotic pets, um, animals that we've domesticated. Um, I actually started the animal law club at Emory. It's still going today. Going strong. Good
0: for you. Good for you.
1: Yeah. But I ended up realizing, and it's kind of actually where I'm hitting this wall with criminal defense, is that, I mean, it's a factory of sadness. If fighting for animals is like, fight. I mean, you're fighting something that it almost feels like you can't win or like you can't actually affect and in criminal defense, you know, I my wins, I have won a lot, but it's the losses that literally they just
0: tear you up because I know what it, what it means. Yeah, um, I've had yeah. I've had a few clients sentenced to life in the past few years, and it's just, um, <laughs> I mean, it just stuns you a little bit. You've so, had a few clients sentenced to life in prison. Yeah, I'd say
1: my most common uh, my most common type of criminal charge is murder. I end up I don't know what I don't. It, it it started at the jail. I don't market, which is another thing. And no one works for me. Um, I just sort of I'm like a Lincoln lawyer. I literally work out of my car. I don't go to an office. Um and at the jail when I win, you know, people send my card around and pe- it's just that's it's just been word of mouth for me.
0: Wow. So you're getting so you are getting cases of uh of you're doing the most uh, High-stakes cases that, when it comes to criminal law, people's lives are on the line. You're taking people that have been. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. You, how I you're, chose you're, to do this. Well, I, I find this fascinating. That's why I wanted to bring you on because I always, I, I've had one of my buddies who does. Um, he focuses mostly on DUI, OVI cases here in Ohio. Um, more he's done more lucrative, smarter. smarter yeah, than. he's done some drug. He does drugs and OVI, and he used to do some of the. Uh, he he was with a, a attorney named Ian Friedman here in Cleveland, so they were doing a lot of white collar, a lot of child sex uh, pornography cases, those kind of things. That's how he learned, and then he went off on his own. He's doing OVI. So I've always I've always found the the criminal law stuff to be fascinating because I think if I was practicing, I would be doing what you're doing, but but. I talk about not get the cases, I mean that, that's the whole thing, it's like yeah. you just end up, it's what you get, you randomly get called
1: on things, and then as a result you get experience in things, and then people call you for those things again, and so it's just kind of what you, what you've been successful at doing, and I've, apparently my, my greatest success has been in the murder realm. Um,
0: when did you get your first murder case, Rachel?
1: It was actually my first felony case, my first felony trial was a murder, <laughs> Uh, and it was in 2015,
0: so three years out of law school. So three years out of law school, you're still relatively obviously raw at this at this game. Uh, have you had you practiced? Have you tried a few? Have you done a few trials prior to that? I assume. Yes. Yeah. So I worked briefly for a uh, for a year for a DUI firm, and so I tried. I I think at that time I was just like, who wants it? You know, I was out there like just wanting to fight everyone. <laughs> who I, wants
1: I probably it. tried like 15 <laughs> cases. You know, I think the people that I worked for wanted
0: me to resolve them and play them out, but I was like, you know, this is what it's going to be, and I'm going to and I'm
1: gonna win. And I, I don't particularly like DUI um, cases. I, I'm not a scientist. I'm more into, like, motive and, like, why people do things. So yeah. I don't really care about, I don't know. A lot of times people seem like they're fine to drive, and it's just an indiscriminate, oh, you cross a line, whatever. I don't like that stuff. It's a little
0: boring for me. Um but I love murder. Um, wow. So 3 years had, out, 3 years out of school, you get a phone call. I was working hour before I got the D, before I went to the
1: DUI firm. I was working hourly for other attorneys, literally feeling horrible about myself because I had no career. Um, and you know, all these people that I went to law school with are doing, you know, amazing things working at big fancy firms. And when I was working hourly, that lawyer actually got this murder murder case and I worked for him on it and became really close with the family and then when i went to the dui firm that client told the other lawyer i guess that he wanted to he wanted to switch lawyers and so i took that on with me when i went to the dui firm and,
0: so so you get this call yeah. yeah you get this opportunity and then and then once you say yeah i mean I, i'm going to i guess i guess i'm this is what you, i guess i'm going to have no choice but to take this thing Talk about the feelings behind that, how that all unfolds, what your thoughts are as you're going through it. I mean, it, it had to be kind of a shock to the to the conscience.
1: I actually feel like I'm in a worse position. I had not lost yet. So, you know, I hadn't lost big yet, I guess. I'd probably lost a DUI or two, but like I had not, I thought I was going to win. So at the time, I think I didn't really even consider how high the stakes were. Maybe I did, but I, it didn't really make I wasn't thinking about it. What I spent the most time on was working with my client, um, at the jail where he sat for two and a half years, pending trial. Um, he's out, he's out now. So it was, it was, he, he testified. So my, um, I guess specialized skill is working with the defendant to get them to a place where their truths about what happened, um, resonates.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: sometimes it doesn't, but if, if it can, um, That's, I guess, how I'm preparing. And if I, you know, we, I've spent so much time at that jail, um, just him and I, just talking every which way about what had happened in his case. And he, I put him on the stand, and it was, I, it was, I think, the best thing I could have done.
0: Um, You put him on the stand. Give us a little bit of detail. Is this the guy that you posted that video with a couple months ago? Yes. Yeah. Talk about this. I'm actually like mad at him right now because he's, you know, he. I don't know
1: what he's up to these days, but I really wanted him to like get a grip. Hopefully, he got the grip. I'm not. I'm. If he calls me from jail, I'm not coming to get him. So, um, <laughs> got, you know, I, want, I really want the best for him, and yeah. he, It's called choices. He, yeah, he can decide what he wants to do. But that, um, he was in the bluff, which is like a really bad area of Atlanta. Um, I don't understand how how this even happens, but he was a passenger in a vehicle somebody got in a fight with his girlfriend who was driving and then they're approaching the car and he shoots out of the window of the car and then like across the street, a 16 year old kid dies. Um, he's on video. Uh, the, the kid, the body is not on video. So it's unclear if he actually, you know, it's, it's pretty clear he shot, but it's not clear that he shot anyone. Um, and so he had to get on the stand and talk about, cause I needed to understand from him how that could ever make sense. Like, what circumstance could he possibly be in where he would need to shoot out of the window of a car? Um, And we explored that um, to the point where I felt comfortable with his answer. Even Even though they're all guilty for being out there and acting a fool, but that's where they live.
0: So what did he get convicted of?
1: He ended up somehow, by the grace of God, the jury found him guilty of aggravated assault but not of felony murder based on the, so aggravated assault's a felony, and then if you commit a felony and someone dies, that's felony murder, and that's in Georgia, that's life in prison. Somehow, they didn't find him guilty of that, they didn't find him guilty of murder, and just the aggravated assault, and in Georgia, that's 5 to 20 years. Um, so I actually was really not satisfied with the verdict at the time, because I didn't want him to go away for that long. I wanted to walk him out of there. I actually had bought tickets to a Kevin Gates concert. Kevin Gates is a rapper. Like, I was expecting we were going to, like, get to go to a concert that weekend. Um, That's how... I'm just not even thinking clearly. I'm like...
0: Right.
1: (laughs) I'm, I'm like, plowing through the wall. Um, But he ended up getting five years. Somehow, the judge... I don't... It's just... He got very lucky. Um, And I only feel like it's lucky because I want to say it's my skill. But then I've had cases that I thought I should win, and the jury doesn't care. So...
0: Back to this 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 client of yours. So he gets convicted of the assault, uh-huh. felonious assault. Um, so was it your intent, was it your argument that, to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt he was not the one that was responsible for the bullet hitting that person? It could have been somebody else? What was the argument? Okay,
1: so the argument ended up being that as a passenger in a car, you don't have control over the wheel or the pedal. So... If you're telling somebody to pull off because, you know, whatever, things are getting ugly in that area, you know, you actually can't do anything about it. You're just like a sitting duck. Um, I started doing a lot of social media research, and I started friending all these kids. Um, I call them, like, they're like feral cats, and they, like, live literally outside, and they're taking pictures with their guns. And just crazy, crazy stuff, and I started to understand why my client might, if he saw those kids cu- pulling up to him in his rearview in the rearview mirror as a passenger, you know, why he might he might shoot at those kids. Um, and so, what happened was also, I brought somebody else in on the case, a guy who I met in an elevator who happened to be from Cleveland Heights. We like became very close friends and started trying all of our cases together. I showed him a video that I had watched hundreds of times. And I was really watching for what my client was doing, and he kept watching, and what he noticed is that after my client's girlfriend pulled off in the car, that people seemed to be reacting to a second uh, gunshot, like physically, everyone just sort of like ducked on the screen, and uh, 911 was not called until after that. So we were really able to play. It wasn't even me. It was my like. It was Clarence who looked at something I had been looking at forever. That's the lesson: is that we shouldn't do it alone. It's important to try. It's important to try, but like, it's so much better to work with other people because everybody
0: sees things differently. Absolutely. So you guys were able to at least instill enough doubt that hey, he might not have been the one that was responsible for this sixteen-year-old's death. Yes. Wow, yes. that is insane. That was it your first insane. murder case. That is crazy that, that that you even had the guts to take that case at what? Like, you know, in your in your mid to late 20s at that point in yeah, your life? Yeah, I think I was
1: 28. He's a friend. The kid was 26, so I felt like he was my sister's age. Like, we were friends. We're friends. Um, and don't mess. I mean, I'm not going to swear
0: in here. Just don't mess with my friends. I will come after people. <laughs> well, you could swear on here. Oh, I can? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, do not it's, fuck with me. It's a lot... <laughs> like I, I, yeah. I mean, these, these That's a lot better.
1: Piss, they piss me off. And they're trying... I mean, it's very difficult to sit in a room across the you know the aisle from someone who wants your client to spend the rest of his life in prison. And you to walk in there every morning. I mean, I like to, like, punch him
0: in the face. Um, I love I love how candid you are and how honest you are. This is uh, fantastic. I'm trying to bring <laughs> people back to the reality
1: of, like... What's going on here um, in Georgia? And sometimes it sometimes it works,
0: and other times it doesn't. So, since you are so honest, talk about because the the thing that I'm thinking, which I'm sure other people that are listening, uh, when they're listening to this, are going to be thinking the same thing, is you sound almost you know there's no, no emotion involved for the victim side. So wh- when you're when you're defending a criminal. Uh, or someone that's convicted of a crime and someone that clearly committed a crime, whether or not that person was the one that was responsible for the ultimate death in, in a homicide case, they still committed a crime like your client did. What uh, are the emotions that you have to deal with in terms of the other side and that, that victim's family and those kind of things? Each, each situation is
1: very, very different. But what I can say this morning, I was actually, my life is very strange. Okay. It's, it's completely bizarre. Um, I've had mothers in, in murder cases, um, mothers of victims, you know, they're like during sentencing, you know, they're actually saying like, fuck you, Rachel, like, because, you know, over the course of the week, you know, I have to say things about their kid that they may not like. I'm not lying, but it's just the reality um, of what he what your kid was doing before he, you know, he wasn't inside with you. Um, he was outside, you know, they don't like that. They don't like Nobody likes, once someone has passed away, to look at them as anything but, you know, a good person. It's hard to, it's hard, and so it's a it's a fine line that I have to play. I have another case, so that lady hates me, but then I have another case where my client was actually convicted, he should not have been convicted, of murder. The victim's mom in that case just friended me on Facebook the other week, and then I ran into her in the elevator at the courthouse today. Um, and we hug it's just weird I mean I take on a lot of the emotions I had a case a four year old uh, had died after being scolded in hot water I mean I'm telling horror stories
0: Um, but this is no this is what I wanted I want to hear we want to hear we want to hear about it yeah we want to hear what goes on out there yeah so like
1: I, I feel the emotion from the victim's I definitely take on and I'm like an empath so that's why it's becoming a little bit too much for me because again when a four-year-old is scalded by hot water and then dies because he doesn't get medical treatment until the next day um you know obviously my and my client in that case didn't put the kid in the water she's just another person that was in the house amongst other adults but tried you know she she went out to rescue him she tried to do and en- do stuff but she didn't do enough she didn't call 911 she just like put neosporin on whatever but like right. all I know is that my client has three kids herself and she's a good mom to them and now they're charging her with murder and then I have a four year old who's you know, I had to look at the pictures from the autopsy. So like, holy shit. I just like holy, holy shit.
0: Um that's why I said factory of sadness. So oh how do I deal God. with the victims' families? A four-year-old, I four year old. child, A four year old child that was that that died due to burns? Yeah. Oh. From the from the yeah. child's own parent or a family member? No, it's such a shit show. Um
1: you know a lot of kid, a lot of people have kids for reasons other than wanting them <laughs> long term it's almost like children have children and then people drop their kids house they, they drop their kids off at other people's houses indefinitely right. and then they leave their older kids to watch the younger kids right. and and the ball drops um and it's the set i've ne- yeah i cry in court so that's the other thing people think i'm I'm very emotional
0: yeah people think that you're like a cold bitch some people think that you're like a cold callous bitch and you're like the furthest uh, thing from it probably oh no people in court I think
1: know that I'm a I feel they're like you you need to like separate it like you need it's hard for me to separate it because I'm I'm finding humanity in these people um and everyone else is trying to dehumanize them so it feels but back to the victim really quick one more thing I want to say is that about that is I tend to think that the victim, almost 95% of the time, the victim in a case is very, very similar to the defendant. And the system treats it as if they're on opposite ends of a continuum where everyone's literally in the middle. Most people don't shoot at people unless they're scared. It's just, it's just what it is. And what I try to talk about is, like, you know, not that I'm okay with police shooting people, but, you know, we, there are times where police are justified in shooting people because they perceive them as, you know, um, like violent and able to kill them instantly. Well, when, when, a, when a thug shoots another thug, he's per se, perceiving that exact same fear that the cop does that we allow. They're both scared of the same guy that they know is willing to shoot, is all I'm saying.
0: Interesting, yeah. And, yeah.
1: and I'm trying to get people to, to see that. But we're, everyone's scared of these of these guys. So,
0: wow, um, that's just absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. The type of stuff that you do on a daily basis this is your life. This is your world.
1: It is my life, and I don't have uh, much of. I don't really desire. It's hard for me to like go to a happy hour with people that don't do what I do because I, I just have. You know, I'm dealing. I'm holding. I'm carrying all of that. Um, I compared. I used to think it was like being a doctor. Like I, like you know, I diagnose people, and I they have cancer, and I'm going to try to help them, but. You know, it's kind of a crapshoot, but I now feel like I'm a war strategist. Hear me out. I feel like I've done tours in in these horrifying places, um, and when I come back, like I'm not a civilian.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: literally in this in this, people are just it's nuts. I mean, I've had I've had client I've had gang members show up in court and try to fight other people. You know, crazy crazy things. It's just. Um, it's maddening, really, but it's it. It's um, not something that most people see, and we all do assume that the people that I represent are criminals, uh, because many of them, to some extent, are. Um, I just can't imagine what it would be like to start if if I was accused of something to start there, to start with the idea that everyone probably thinks I did it, just not even knowing anything.
0: You know, you posted a uh, a powerful quote on Instagram. I'm, I'm looking at. Let me read it. Yeah. I swore never to be silent whenever and wherever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Ellie Wiesel. Talk about that. Well
1: a lot of people even like politically so i just find i find people and people who want to talk about why donald trump is ruining our country need to actually consider what's happening on the ground in our country because it's actually people on the on a day-to-day basis who are in positions of less power but still have power who aren't doing what they are saying needs to be done like no one's willing to do the tough job of you know in my baby bath case my client had no criminal intent she just isn't educated but there's this need to send people to prison just just because that's what we're, that's how it's been done but what I'm saying is, is that how it's been done isn't working and so why are we continuing to do the same thing that we know isn't working and then that's how we justify what we're doing um, it's just there's like a, there's a pipeline Uh And I feel like people who are, that's a shout out to prosecutors who are just like literally do, you know, rubber stamping everything to keep their job at the expense of people's lives.
0: Yeah. Uh Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah, That's what it sounds like to me is that this, this, uh, a lot of this stuff comes from your uh, emotion toward everyone being kind of put in that same box and labeled the same way and kind of treated the same way and. Each case is so different. I mean, based on what I've seen, even from my studies, but but hearing your story in the past half hour and some of the criminal cases that I've watched, and every case is so different, so complex. You can't; make, it's not black and white. And each situation is unique. And even with your client that just came home a couple months ago, I mean that was a that that was a very unique situation as well. Um, and based on what it sounds like you're saying is. You, there's nothing you can stand more, can't stand more than when a prosecutor is trying to put away someone for the rest of his or her life uh, because they may fall within some of these black letter, you know, shot a gun, committed a crime, those kind of things. They just
1: would never stand up for what's right. It's like there's a di- there is a difference between people. Like they black, young black males don't have ESP. So, like, when you sweep them all up together and then arrest them all, to assume, I say, like in every group, there's like the silly guy, there's the smart one, there's the badass. Okay, not all of them are
0: the badass. Wait, what did you say? So, what did you say at the beginning of that sentence? You said young black males don't have a what? You got they, cut they, off. They don't have ESP. Ah. This like assumption that they're like all synchronized
1: thinking, and, and people are very very happy to sweep them off the streets together, assuming that they're all on the exact same page. And I just that's something that I think it's offensive because I know that if it were me with those guys, I would not get swept up in it. And the question is, why? I'm asking prosecutors, black and white prosecutors, why? Wow. And, um, like, I have a guy who got, yeah, I mean, I could tell you stories for days, literally, of just about, uh, the gang stuff is, I think, the scariest, because it's these kids who live on the street, they don't have cars, so it's not like they go visit their friends in other towns, their parents don't send them to overnight camp to contain them over the summer, and, you know, they're just out there scheming, and, (sighs) Some kids are just getting a ride home. My client was getting a ride home, uh, and the guy that was driving the car and some other guys in the car ended up going to some apartment complex. My, my client's riding bitch in the back seat, okay? He's, the person who's riding bitch in the back seat of the car doesn't tell people where they're going, especially when the people that they're with have loaded guns. Some shootout occurs, my client gets shot in the back, okay? He gets shot in the back, and then so he's—they take him to the hospital, and he's the only one that's been charged with murder because they don't—they don't know who the other guys are. Um, My client should tell, but then again, that's not safe necessarily. So we're in this bad position where just because he's in a car, you know, he got a ride from his friends, he's sitting in riding bitch he's now charged with murder even though there's no evidence at all to
0: suggest that he was doing anything other than sitting in the seat when you say that, so he's riding in the in the back middle seat between two yep. people uh huh yeah and wow. neither, and they know the names of those other two
1: people like they know who they are i'm like how are you yeah. i guess i guess everybody in the car had the exact same goal and maybe they did but prove it if if it was me i'd want them to prove
0: it how many? No. How many current ca- active murder cases are you on right? Like at this very moment?
1: I'm gonna count for.
0: Um, I think eight. You have eight I've, murder cases going on right <laughs> now, all by yourself. Yeah, and
1: most people. Yeah, and I'm not being charged like even fifty thousand dollars. I mean, I'm taking these cases because I'm trying to. I guess I'm trying to help people, and I have things I want to do next, maybe. But it's just. I don't know. I feel like if I'm going to go in. I'm going to go hard. And
0: that's what I'm doing. How I in just, the world? How in the world, world can yesterday. you? Talk, uh, how in the world do you? So what? What is it? What is a day in the life of Rachel Kaufman like? I know it's every day is different, but give us a sneak peek. Like, what do you do today? What's today like? Okay,
1: so this morning, this morning, I woke up and I drove 45 minutes away to go to a um, preliminary hearing that got rescheduled without me knowing um, or them telling me. But we for a 15 year old charged with murder. Um, the day before I actually went to see him at the Youth Detention Center. But so I went down there, met both of his parents. Um, they paid me some cash. I get paid in cash. I probably get paid. <laughs> I don't know where the cash comes from, but um, that happens sometimes. So I went to court with them um, and then I went to, a, I had a trafficking case in another county. So I went to court there and um, worked out a probation deal. on <laughs> My client had like 56 grams of Coke in Georgia that's trafficking he has like previous convictions you know we're deciding wow. whether he's going to snitch he's going to snitch or not i'm not a, i'm not a fan of snitching but i'm also not a fan of prison and you know his call so snitching so, snitching
0: but what you're saying in layman's terms snitching could equate to maybe a lesser sentence a uh, settlement right uh yep yeah i mean yeah.
1: that's what today we were discussing with the officer and the prosecutor and what he would need to tell them and blah 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 right um, And he, you know, my client's like, you gave up on me because we were going to argue a motion to suppress because they had a canine unit walk around the car. But as you know, I mean, a lot of those kind of cases, and we learned about it in law school, um, like it's very difficult to get a judge to grant a motion to suppress. And he's like, you didn't, he's like, you gave up on me. Like, I didn't give up on you. There's like a risk assessment. Again, I'm a war strategist. Like, I'm not going to send you out there for the possibility that it might all work out if you could also get blown away as a result, because I don't think that after I made the prosecutor work, that she's going to consider probation. These are the things you have to think about. Like, I want, I want to keep her with probation, but if I
0: start fighting her on some other shit, she's going to pull it back. This is like a real high stakes game of poker every day in your life. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, And then I come home and I sit with my
1: dogs, and sometimes I watch Dr. Phil or other murder shows. (laughs) And I watch The Bachelorette, just so I don't feel as alone. And, um, you yeah, Are you dating? Are you dating anybody? No, I don't even really want to right now. I think I'm just doing this
0: right now. I would imagine dating would be almost impossible based upon your lifestyle. I mean, I'm not that open. Yeah, you'd yeah. almost have to date. You'd almost have to either date a uh, uh, another like one, another one, yeah, <laughs> or or like a prosecutor and just and just I would evil, never. E- even even the uh, the balance out. Ugh, no, <laughs> um, unless I could like. Secretly, like get on their computer and just start like <laughs>
1: losing shit accidentally. That's funny. Like That's... there goes that indictment. Whoop! Um, I'm trying to free people.
0: I'm trying to free people. Yeah, I mean, talk about. Obviously, you, you, this is this is a high stakes. This is a high stakes world that you live in, and it's complicated. There's a lot of emotions involved. What is your? Uh, what is, what do you want to accomplish before you call it quits? At least in this area, uh, in this area of the law.
1: call it quits. I say that because it's so hard, but I cannot imagine not not doing it. Um, but I, what I want to accomplish is I guess I'm interested, I, I want to reach a broader stage of I, I don't feel like the courtroom is the best place for me to communicate to people about how they should treat criminal defendants and more into the policy of incarceration. So I think I'll probably end up helping people involved, you know, in being released from prison, or their families. I guess I just want to complete the surf, the cycle, you know. I, I want to be able. I want restorative and holistic justice. So like, I don't want people to be set up to go
0: back. Right. Um, to the system, and that's how it's set
1: up right now. So like, I'm kind of, you know, I had this dream of like, you know, a Camp Wise model. I keep talking about it, but it's like having these these kids never had anything to be proud of or to like. Like color wars, I'm like we're basically gangs except for we have activities and we're supervised, (laughs) and we don't have guns. Like
0: these kids should just be playing games against each other. So you think? So the the, the problem stems. The problem. The problem. Does the uh, what? What's the solution for these kids? I mean, uh, you kind of hit it with this camp thing, uh, kind of in a in a funny way. But what's the solution to keep these kids away from the streets, the gangs? Mom, I think there
1: needs to be. I don't know why they're not talking more about birth control at school. I don't know what's going on with these. You know, there's these people want the checks. It's just crazy in that way. But I I do think that you can reach young kids. I think you cannot reach them. You have to reach them in an environment where they're removed from their home. So if they're going to take these people into custody under the guise that they're correcting them, I think that there's space in there to give them opportunities to do that.
0: Um, It's hard to do it. And then they come, they go back home. Right. and everything
1: starts oh yeah so I, I also would love to like send some of these kids I told the parents of this 15 year old who's charged with murder he's been
0: shot twice he's 15 holy shit I'm
1: like what What, what are you doing like stay inside
0: um, oh, yeah. but what, what, how so what, how, if, real, real quick how in the world is that kid going to have any chance of being staying on the straight and narrow after being shot twice at the age of 15 well
1: so what I told him I told him yesterday when I went to visit him um, my dream for him would to be to set him up with some family in like Montana, like some white country family, and he just has to adapt to that environment away from what he's used to. But as long as he's on his own street, I mean, it's the same reason that it's so hard to change our own personal habits in our own spaces. Like, it's much easier, like, if you're going to stop drinking to, like, change, you know, not, not be in your house with your fridge that's filled with alcohol. Right. You know, so there's this like needing, there's this need to like get away, um, from, from that. Just you can't change people, but I guess you can at least show them that they have other choices.
0: Yeah, it's Um, very complicated. It's extremely complicated. Yeah, for now they're just in chains. Like how how does that 15 year old? How do you take him away from his home? Does he have the family that he lives with? How does that work? Oh, he's in jail. He's in jail. And what is he in detention center for, trying to, like, uh, hurt somebody? Well, um, just because he's charged with murder. So oh, oh, this, oh, oh! he was shot already twice at 15, and then he was charged with murder as well. Yeah, that's who I went to court for. The, yeah. Uh, yes. uh,
1: somehow, somehow, I'm looking at him, I'm like, what in God's name? Wow. I mean, I was thinking about like making out with people and like, play, you know, that's what I was thinking about
0: when I was fifteen. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm like, what, what are you doing? What is this world that you're living in, Rachel? Holy shit! This is a whole different ball game. What you're doing? This is a whole different ball, ball game. Yeah. This so, is yeah, amazing. when I came home, it
1: felt really good. <laughs> I was like, oh my god! It's just I ate a lot better when I was home because I was not worried. Um,
0: are you ever worried for your own safety? No. Not at all, okay.
1: And, you know, I tell my clients, I mean, if you, if you were to try, if somebody tries to do something to me, I mean, I've got, my team runs deep. I've got, you know, Crips, Bloods, GDs, they will come after you. I'm like, any boyfriend that tries to mess, like, lay a hand on me, I dare you.
0: Well, not like, only not I only that, I mean, yeah, hey, listen, if, if there's any guys that were interested in Rachel Kaufman after, you, you might have just scared everybody away after that one. I know, that's purposeful. <laughs> That's <laughs> the ah, there was you had you had like you had like a half dozen guys that were gonna go try to find you on social media and then they heard they you say that me. they'll be like whoa yeah. she is cool like, yeah, yeah. Cool. i mean i i am cool and I'm, i i try to keep it real with everyone um
1: including my clients everybody else i'm glad i'm glad that whatever i'm doing interests you
0: it makes me- it's cool so it's you. really it's i mean it's not just cool like it's it's real life it's fascinating it's it's real-life, high-stakes things that you're dealing with every single day. Um, well, I, I guess my question back to the safety issue was, are you ever concerned about, like, the other side, the the, the victims or whoever is on the prosecutor side, come, you know, coming at you?
1: I, I'm very grateful for deputies at the courthouse. You know, I didn't really – there was actually one time where I was scared um, of a client, and it was I don't like verdicts. So I don't like when a verdict comes in and everybody comes – back into the courtroom and oh Jesus. You, you, it's like literally like for, yeah, for an empath I and mean, you're feeling all that and your client has so much at stake and you're standing next to them
0: yeah and, and they're and you're, um, lit- and you're literally a uh, minute minutes away from knowing whether they're walking or, or going to prison for the rest of their lives potentially correct? precisely yeah and yeah.
1: um there was one client where i just remember feeling extremely grateful and we won i'm like he's a, this guy was a real jerk like one of the only, cl- I mean, I, I can count of on one hand, the ones that I just cannot stand. He was one of them, and somehow we won for him. But I had Clarence, I had this other guy with me, holding him, like basically keeping him
0: under control. Just in case. Um, yeah.
1: So that I could do my job. Um,
0: wow. But I was
1: a little bit concerned. Like if, if it was like a, you know, they, took pen, they take pens
0: away from these people. Um, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. What about... Before we wrap up, talk about the uh, what's the feeling? What's the feeling like with some of the clients that um, have ultimately been convicted that you've represented and that are serving these life sentences? What is that all? What is that like for you personally? Torture. hmm. Torture. Every day you some, think about them. Yes. Wow. I mean,
1: there's ones that I think about more than others. I'm getting emotional. Um, some of them are actually illegally so I'm not gonna tell on them but they like they'll have phones which they should have in prison and it just keeps them you know busy on their phone nothing else you know so that they're not like fighting with each other I think it's great but like I talk to him on um, I talk to him on Facebook messenger often I, and, and I'll tell you when that stuff comes back up for appeal I will do anything in my power uh, to if I did something possibly wrong that could get them a new trial
0: um do they sit there are I, any of them in like a solitary confinement? No. Yeah. All
1: of all my clients, I will say that I, even my clients that were facing life without parole, I've been I've somehow managed to argue life with parole for all of them because I don't think that people who are without parole should be mixed in, everyone should have an incentive to be good and they can always deny parole. Right. Right. <laughs> so I'm like why wouldn't you want if you're trying if
0: you're in the Department of Corrections, why would you
1: want to put people within the general population that
0: are never coming home and have no hope of it. Are you what what, what is person? what is the reason? Like, what is the reasoning to to give peace and so, and solemn to like the, the, the victims' families? How, what yeah, is the reasoning? They, and that's
1: oh my god, that's a whole other episode. I mean, we have the fact that in America, people believe that the criminal justice system is somehow meant to satisfy and satiate a victim. Is is why this whole thing they start prom the prosecutor's promise things to the, just, you know, to the victim's families. And then, you know, it makes it very, very difficult to resolve the case because they have to get it, they have to run it by them. Well, they're thinking from an emotional
0: place, not from a legal or logical place. Right. Um, Every, everything else is legal and logical besides, besides maybe that.
1: Yeah. Um, one more thing I want to say really quick, I know to, um, it was about, you reminded me, um, so I don't like to lose. I'm like competitive to the extent that I expect to win and then when I lose, I like can't deal with it. Um, I also say it's a good thing that I'm a girl, not a guy, because no does not mean no to me. Ha ha ha, no does not mean no to me. And I, after one of my clients got convicted, um, I've had almost a juror from every case reach out to me. I've dated a juror after a case. We can do a whole thing on jurors. Um, I, had juror, I, I had a juror come uh, call me I don't know she must have looked me up and I felt like I was sending energy out there like there is no humanity how could they have found this guy guilty possibly because they didn't have any black males on the jury uh, but um, she called me and she's like "Like I can't live with myself Like I, we considered all these things that I don't think we were supposed to consider what can I do I had her file an affidavit Talking about juror misconduct and it's going to be part of his appeal. So, like, it sets up a pretty good appeal issue for him. How,
0: how, how um, many years until you could appeal a case? Or like, once they're um, convicted, basically immediately once the transcript. And I, I did I argued before the Georgia Supreme Court this year. Um, I had my I did my first appeal and I chose a murder case
1: to appeal for. Shocking. <laughs> and they denied me those little shits. And I'm talking about those justices. They they denied me. I did an oral argument. Um. They mischaracterized everything. I wrote a motion for reconsideration, and they just denied me. But um, the appeals can happen
0: as soon as the appellate attorney can review the transcript, basically. What about like the, your clients that are, you said something earlier, the clients that, that are on serving life, uh, I guess, how often can they come up for parole where you can maybe have an impact on their lives again? Well,
1: um, assuming that their appeals are denied, I think that they get considered for parole at, after 30 years. I can't even say it. Oh, wow.
0: She, she fucked, fucked yeah. up. Um, yeah. yeah. So, one of my, that case is actually on the first 48. I don't know if you've heard of that show. Oh, I love that show. I haven't watched it in years, but I love that um, show. Yeah, one of my clients, and I was, I felt like everything, yeah,
1: sometimes you feel like so rooted in like what you think is true and it just doesn't happen that way, but he's on, you know, I'm. In touch with him and his family, I made a lot of friends. I hug everyone. Um, just, I, I just want them to know that I, that I want them to know that in the end, that I'm not part of the, that I'm not trying to be part of the
0: problem. You know? Listen, I think what you do, what you've done is uh, courageous, hard, challenging, uh, riveting, all the above. Uh, I, I imagine that this world that you live in is not easy by any means. There's a lot of emotions involved, even if you try to take emotions out of it. Uh, you're only a human being at the end of the day when you go to sleep at night, and uh, I give you a ton of credit for doing this. I mean, this is this is real life shit. I mean, this is real life shit. <laughs> and and yeah, I hear and I hear, hear your dogs. Your I hear problems. your dogs. So like, I, do I hear your dogs panting in the background. So I assume that they're the ones that give you some joy at the end of the days too. So they do. They're
1: so much better than
0: people. <laughs> For me, for me at least. Well, they're definitely not going to shoot anybody and call you the next day and need some help. No, but.
1: guns are at the root of, I just don't understand,
0: but... Yeah, again, another whole episode. Yeah, that episode. That. Think yeah. about bringing me back on for that, because I can talk... Well, I-, I have a feeling that after people hear this one, they're going to want to hear more. So we are going to undoubtedly... Dun, dun, dun. We're going to reconnect. When are you coming back to Cleveland? Well, I'm trying to come back for the month of August. I'm trying to take a notice of... I just filed notices of leave of absence... Thing for personal development. Um, That's good. You can come I, on my I podcast. Need a break. I need a you break. can come on I my podcast like uh, you can come on my podcast like every week uh, in the month of August for personal development. Perfect. As long as I can meet your adorable children that I saw on Instagram. Absolutely. <laughs> like all your <laughs> listeners do too. Okay. Uh, so uh, people want to reach you. It's rachelcoffmanlaw.com. Yeah, or they can like find me. I'm my dog's barking now. He's
1: hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah. He's a good boy. Um, they can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Okay. I'm pretty accessible. I'm pretty accessible. And if anyone ever comes down to the, the big A, they
0: should hit me up, especially if they're from Cleveland, because yeah. I miss home. <laughs> well, hey, you are undoubtedly one of the smartest badasses I've ever talked to. Thank you. Thank oh hey, uh, you in my pajamas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in yeah. my house trying to manage. And um, let me know when you're back in town. We'll get together. Absolutely. Have a good one, Nate. Thanks so much. (laughs) Bye. Bye. The Optimal Life. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Optimal Life. Really appreciate the support. And uh, if you guys enjoy what you're listening to and enjoy what you're hearing, as always, please click subscribe. And give us the five-star rating so we can continue to elevate the podcast within Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that the podcast is played and provided. And uh, leave us a comment. Leave us feedback. You could. Uh, we're always open to feedback, whether it's positive or negative. So uh, you know, we want to do whatever we can to improve the show. And if there's something that we're missing, then let us know. You could reach me also on Instagram at Nathan Haber. And uh, again, I know that you have a lot of listening options these days. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people sharing different things. So if you are listening to this podcast and if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, from the bottom of my heart, I want to just say thank you. Uh, very grateful for that. And uh, we're gonna continue providing you guys with the best content possible so that we can continue to live an optimal life and be our optimal and best selves. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks.